Hello, and welcome to the Kosh. I'm your host, Timber Smith, and thank you again for tuning in to another episode. Um, as you know, it's a Saturday morning. Uh, not gorgeous out. It's kind of okay. But I'm going to tell you what makes this Saturday morning a little happier than most, at least for myself. I had a recent birthday. Birthday came in yesterday. I'm I, and what I, the way I like to put it, I'm not going to say how old I am. I'm just going to say that I have a big toe on 50. I'm close. Close. All right. So I'm feeling good about life because I do think about, you know, some people freak out about their age. And I'm just grateful that these numbers continue to increase because there's a huge problem when they stop. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just it's just not a hot, hot deal. Um so, um, you know, Kosh listeners, you know what I'm going to say. Once again, just once, once again, I don't know how I get these amazing guests. I get the best, best guests. And I can tell you already, from the moment this, this particular guest came in the door, there's energy. So this is going to be a fire episode, and I'm super excited to have this conversation. Um this is going to, I just think we're going to, we're going to touch on some things. We're going spaces and places with this. So um, please, please, please give us a chance. I think you're going to, you're going to appreciate it. So without further ado, this week's guest is Aaron Scherer. Scherer. How'd I do? That'll work. That'll work? Yeah. You'll forgive me. Well, you know, there's a hey, look, I, I try really hard and, and Kosh listeners, I actually took the time to ask him how to enunciate it first this time, because, you know, normally I will just slaughter it up and then ask for forgiveness after. <laughs> this is just how it goes. Bruh. All right. Aaron, you ready? I'm ready. All right. I'm excited to be here. Oh, and, and let me let me give my intro. You know, um, the Kosh is a podcast that spotlights people who've had an association with Oshkosh or the surrounding Fox Cities area. Um, Aaron, can you please share a little something about yourself and uh, what's your connection to the Kosh? Sure. Uh, first of all, happy birthday. Hey, hey. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure I feel the same way about age, but I'm thinking we're pretty close to the same age because I'm 49 and that 50 is, uh, I've got a big toe. You got a big toe on it. And I have mixed feelings about it. I've had a few midlife crises now, but I'm, I'm doing good today. <laughs> doing good today? I, yeah, I feel that. You know, I haven't gone, I haven't had the, I don't know. I Maybe I've had them and I just didn't know that's what they were. <laughs> that's what I'm going to say. <laughs> So um, I'm a dad here in the community. I've actually lived here for 20 years with my husband, Paul Smith. We moved here for my job. I'm the director of the Paint Art Center and Gardens. We uh, Paul's a special ed teacher in the school district. Nice. And we have four sons. We adopted them through foster care. And they are now, I've got two in high school at North, one at Webster Stanley, and one at E. Cook. Ooh. All boys. All boys. Yep. And to just keep life interesting, right now we have an exchange student from Spain who's a junior at North. What? And so you have four and you're like, ah, we'll just add a little more love in our house. I figure, why not? Why not? Well, that's true. After a certain number, I mean, what difference does it make, right? It's, it's, yeah, it's. 
been going fine. Actually, it's kind of a neat story. I won't tell the whole story, but his mother was an exchange student with my aunt and uncle and then my grandparents uh, 35 years ago in my hometown. Bruh. For real? For real. So we've stayed in touch, and her son wanted to do an exchange program, and I said, well, he should just come to our house because he'll just kind of fall right into the fold of all the boys, and it'll be fine. And it has been. He's a great kid. Oh, that's fantastic. Okay. Um, If I can ask, what's the hometown? So I grew up, my hometown, I grew up in rural western Iowa. The town is Woodbine, Iowa, and it's outside of Council Bluffs, Omaha, Nebraska uh, area, west side of west side of Iowa. How big is or how big or not big is that? We're talking like Winnicott size. There's maybe a thousand some people in Woodbine, Iowa, and my uh, my siblings are all still there. I have two brothers and a sister who are all married and have kids and. So I still go to my hometown often and visit family and all my nieces and nephews. Yeah, that's kind of sweet. Okay. Are we, tr- uh, well, I, I was going to ask, are we going this year uh, for the holidays or? We are. We're going to be here in Oshkosh for Christmas Day, but then we're going to pack up and we're all going to drive to Iowa and spend a few days there with the, and spend New Year's there with my family. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. My kids love it. They have lots of cousins, so it's their chance to have cousin time. Ah, uh, you know, I, that's the one thing. Like, my mom was really big, and she kept it really tight with the family, and uh, I, I was basically allowed to kick it with my cousins. I could kick it with the kids that lived on my block, and I could kick it with my cousins. And uh, shout out to my cousins, because I always think about y'all. I love you. and miss you. Um, yeah, cousins. They're the best. Like, <laughs> yeah. they're the best partners in crime you can have. Yep, yep. I grew up close to my cousins, too. Uh. Okay, so you ready to jump into the first segment? Let's go. All right, first segment is called What in the World is Going On With? This is where you start with the phrase, what in the world is going on with, and you tell us what's on your mind. Okay, so I've told you I've listened to a lot of your podcasts, and I've noticed there's kind of a pattern that develops with this question Mm. where the guest answers often with something that's really heavy like world hunger and there's this heavy heavy conversation Bruh. and then it, and then it goes to your turn and you're you're like what's you know up with people who put pineapple on pizza no that's not one of them but something like that and then there's this kind of lighthearted conversation so I, you know, so I've been struggling. Oh, do I go heavy or do I go light? But I, I do have to tell you, I threw this out to my husband, Paul, last night. Like, mm-hmm. oh, because I kind of knew he'd get it. And he started firing him off right away. Ooh. He's like, why is Grogu now an appropriate, you know, holiday decoration? <laughs> why are, do you know Grogu from the Mandalorian? The uh, little no. Yoda, the oh, little baby Yoda. Yeah, I only know it as baby Yoda. Yeah, baby Yoda. He's like, why is that now a holiday decoration? He's an inflatable in people's yards and he's on sweaters. It's Oh, my God, yes. And you know what's funny is I just saw a five-pack of ornaments for him. <laughs> so, I mean, he thinks it's funny, but also, like, why, what's holiday about that? And then uh, his next one was, why have Crocs come back? He said half of middle schoolers now are wearing Crocs to school. Bruh. Crocs never went out. Okay. That is what I'm going to say. I'm like, I'm, I feel like I've got answers to this. Like, I, you are right. Like, Crocs go hard. Like, yeah, they do go hard and they will rock these Crocs now. But I don't know if Crocs ever went out, out. Okay. I just think there's a new demographic 
that has started really liking them. Liking them again. Well, our son wears them to school, and the winter has not discouraged him at all from wearing them. (laughs) He needs some of those furries. He's going to need some warm socks soon, that's for sure. (laughs) But so mine mine is somewhere in between, but mine's an honest one. So what in the world is going on with the teens and preteens in my house who I'm trying to domesticate every day, and they're trying to go feral every day? Bruh. Break that down. <laughs> well, I, you know, I'm not that good at being a dad, but I do something I kind of need or want is some orderliness in my life. And my my kids, you know, kids they just work against that every single day. So, and they're boys, <laughs> and I mean, I think I've heard girls are just as bad, but just basic things like flushing the toilet. Like, why can't you flush the toilet? What's so hard about flushing the toilet? Mm. I uh, realized this has been, oh, maybe it was last school year, but I realized I was giving, and not exaggerating, up to a 100 reminders in the morning just to get my kids out of the house. You know, Ooh. Ryan, you got to get out of bed. Ryan, get out of bed. Ryan, time to get out of bed. Ryan, you got to get dressed. Nope, Ryan, clean underwear. Clean underwear before you put on your clothes. Clean underwear. <laughs> Bruh. This is fantastic. Well, it's it's the truth. So I've turned, I, I will say one thing is uh, I've turned some of that morning parenting over to Alexa. Oh. So Alexa now at high volume now gives many of the reminders in the morning. So she, oh, I like that strategy. Alexa comes on and says, you know, this is a reminder for Ryan. Ryan, it's time to get out of bed. Oh, so you've programmed them all? <laughs> Lots. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. so fabulous. Do they talk back to Alexa? Uh, well, the, the they've learned that they can, uh, you know, get Alexa off track if they start asking Alexa other questions or turning down the volume. But for the most part, they let it, they let it go. It works pretty well. You know, I think this this might be a new parenting tip. <laughs> you know, parenting tip. If you find yourself frustrated with those young people in your home, don't feel like you have to do it alone. Yeah. Bring in Alexa. That's right. I think that's fabulous. Put, put Alexa to work doing something productive. That's for sure. <sighs> All right. And I'm, a, I'm an Alexa fan, so I, I feel it. Like, I feel if I keep saying it at some point, she's going to come and talk to us. This is going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> you never know. But no, I, we did. So Alexa gives reminders all through the morning, even up to it's time to go to school. You know, put your coat on. It's time to go to school. Because mm. otherwise, you know, they're on their electronics or they get distracted by something. And anyway, I still have to give reminders too, but not quite as many. So just for the, for the, uh, the listeners out there, is this, has this been successful? Do you feel it's been successful? Oh, yeah. No, for sure. I think, you know, part of it is that they just don't keep track of time very well in the morning. Absolutely. They they just don't kind of have a sense of things moving along. They don't, you know, a steady pace. And so part of it is just that, oh, they get the prompt and they kind of get used to it. Alexa usually gives the time, you know, too, which they just don't, you know, that they don't pay attention to clocks or time as much so you know it'll say it's you know seven ten. you should have brushed your teeth by now why do i i feel like there's almost like you you need to write an article about this <laughs> like i i do feel like this it help your ai m- manage your morning routine yeah yeah it's possible yeah i think that's fabulous okay um all right my 
what in the world is going on with what in the world is going on with Facebook birthday wishes? All right. And let me just say this. I absolutely love them. <laughs> right. This is not now. Normally when I go and I, it's my what in the world is going on with, I usually might vent a little bit. Yeah. Share yeah. a little bit of pause. But yeah. this one is one where I really just want to say whoever came up with this was brilliant. Yeah. And I appreciate it on so many levels because every, no matter how small that little wish is, the fact that somebody took a few moments in their day to just wish you a happy birthday. Um, and as the number builds up, it just feels good. You feel, I don't know about the rest of you, but me personally, it makes me feel loved. Yeah, I think it's great. I, you know, Facebook, social media, I know there's good and evil to it, but there's some really great things about it. Yeah. And so um, since this is something I'm, I'm just experiencing again, every year I'm always blown away a little bit and just the people that take that time. And so, like, I just want to celebrate that. That's awesome. Hey, and do a big fat shout out to everyone who took time to wish me a happy birthday out there on the FB. Uh, thank you. Thank you so, so much. I appreciate you like 10,000%. Um, I appreciate you. Very nice. Um, okay. Into the next segment, uh, we are going to jump into word association. And word association is where I'm going to say a word and you're going to tell us what's on your mind. And we always like to start out with the universal unifying word of food. Well, this kind of goes back to an earlier topic, and I know usually it's really positive associations, but I'm just going to be honest here, be real, that uh, my my first reaction to that is that as I get older, I have that uh, frustration with food that the things I love either don't agree with me as much as they used to, and or I know they're really bad for me. <laughs> facts. That's big fat facts. They don't love you anymore. No. There was a time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's it just is what it is. But you don't have to pay a little more attention to what I eat because my body doesn't work it off quite as easily as it used to. Oh, there's truth in that. But yeah. you know, luckily, dad bods are cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna go out here. I'm gonna and go I'm gonna, cel- I'm gonna yeah. celebrate the dad bods I for for us other fellow dad bod people. Well, I yeah, I'm, I'm living it so good. <laughs> Um, is there a favorite, well, is there a food in particular right now that you loved and you're backing away from, or you've had to change how you consume it? There are a lot, but well, you know, so one, I can't eat as much, you know, which is probably a good thing. Overeating now is my, you know, stomach and everything can't handle that as much as I used to be able to. Yeah, what is that? It feels like it feels like the older you get, like your appetite definitely has shrunk drastically. You know, I have this conversation uh, with with the wife, and I'm always like, um, "Why do we got to buy two? Let's just split that." Yeah, yeah, we like, have that one. Yeah, yeah, and I'm just like, let's you know, let's save the money and put it towards happy libations. Well, <laughs> but we can split that sandwich. It's huge, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I know exactly what you're talking about. But yeah, no, there's things, you know, like a really good cheeseburger. I like a really good cheeseburger like anybody, but I have to, you know, a whole cheeseburger might not, you know, work for me anymore. Mm. I've noticed um, the palate has changed where it 
concern salt. Mm. Like things where I, I, I think I probably loved salt. Right. And I didn't really think, think about it. But now when things are salty, it's different. And like, I'm like, oh my God, it's really, really salty. And I can't like, I've, I've definitely had to move to low sodium items and like, it's different. So I don't know what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. I understand. (laughs) (laughs) Cocktail or beer. So I'm definitely a cocktail person. I do like beer. We, but I, I don't have a, I'm not that adventurous with beer. I like to taste test beer, but in our house, we pretty much always have a spotted cow in the fridge. You know, that's kind of the go-to beer, but that's it. But cocktail, if I, you know, if I have a choice, I'm usually interested in a cocktail. Oh, do we got a fave? Well, lately, you know, this is kind of sad, but um, I love margaritas, but I had never made them at home. Bruh. Really? <laughs> well, you know, I guess I, if I had, it was just the mix with some tequila, oh. but the mix I don't really like. It's super sweet and tends to, I don't know, it doesn't have the same taste as to me when you're out and about. Right. So re- not too long ago, I started making margaritas at home. Mm. Super easy. I love that, you know, you can tweak them the way you like them then, you know, have the tequila at just the right amount, the lime at just the right amount. Do so. we got a favorite flavor or do you just like the original? Well, I don't know. So I, I pretty much do lime, you know, just pretty much regular, but use a nice tequila. And then I'm putting either Cointreau in it or Grand Marnier, Marnier if I'm saying that right, which is an orange liqueur okay. in it. And, uh, and then I sometimes throw in a little orange juice or clementine juice. Ooh, that does sound good. Yeah. Okay, fantastic. Um, I like, I, I, I like a good margarita. I, well, let me ask this next question. Um, do you prefer it blended or just on the rocks? On the rocks, yep. Yeah. All right. What Are you blended? I like the blended, but uh, the, 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 I don't always like the brain freeze <laughs> that comes along with the blended because the blended will get you. And there's that, that there's a good little thing of brain freeze that can happen. Well, I'm not sure if I'm breaking, you know, uh, protocol or breaking some rules, but I actually, when I'm making them at home, I'm actually serving them now in a martini glass. Cause I usually make them pretty strong, more mm. like a, a martini would be. I don't, Look, I think you make the rules. That sounds fabulous, though. Bruh. Mm. And now I want to be shaken or stirred. No. <laughs> okay. Fabulous. Um, concert. So I'm going to be a little um, off script that I don't go to a lot of concerts, but I do, like everybody, I love music, but I'm especially a visual person. So I am a musical theater kind of guy. And actually... I do like ballet and opera, so I love it when there's something visual to watch along with the the music. Is there a favorite ballet or opera that you like? Um, that's a great question. Uh, the you know, there's a couple that I've seen um, that you know. So if I go to, if I'm in New York or somewhere, if if I can go to the ballet or the opera, if it fits into my schedule, it's a little harder with kids now. I'll try to see it. But um, I was in Paris once, and a friend and I uh, just kind of on a whim went to an uh, opera called Norma, and it was set. Uh, the the staging was by uh, 
a designer, an artist named uh, Robert Wilson, I believe I have that right. And it was very like futuristic. Mm. So it took this old classic opera and put it in this very kind of modern futuristic setting. It was just beautiful to watch and it made the music, you know, it just elevated the music. Is there anything, because I'm always thinking like, what can we share with the listeners? Um, is there anything that's come around locally um, that you've liked lately, uh, whether uh, at the Grand or at the PAC? Uh, well, so PAC, so I have seen Hamilton three times. So that's oh, a good, that's you know, a good, one. good I, example. I, I haven't seen that one yet. I'm working on those tickets. They ain't okay. easy to get. Well, <laughs> it's, so it's coming up at the PAC in May. Okay. So watch for it there. I've seen it. Uh, I saw it at the PAC and it was fantastic. I saw it twice in Chicago and once at the PAC. So it's, I love it. It's awesome. All right. So Hamilton yep. and it's, it's, it's all, it's everything the hype says it is. I think it is. And probably more, um, there's just a lot of layers to it that you can appreciate. I mean, you can just appreciate it cause it's awesome music and it's intense, but if you really kind of listen, it's, thought provoking and you know the casting of it's really fascinating that uh even though it's primarily depicting uh white american uh history historic figures that it's total you know colorblind casting so black and brown characters playing these uh figures which i love because it's everyone's history american history is everyone's history so facts yeah bruh all right. Streaming. So I'm uh, got a lot of different streaming channels now. I remember from the show, you're you were kind of anti HBO at one point. Are you? Have you c- crossed over to uh, HBO yet? Well, here's my thing. I'm not I'm anti. I didn't. Anti might be strong because I'm not like I'm not saying HBO is not good. What I'm saying right. is I didn't want to pay right. the right, extra right. money for HBO. <laughs> well, but so. but I'm gonna. Here's the funny thing. I think I'm gonna break down because I really want to watch The Wire. Ah, oh, that's that's like an oldie but a goodie, right? Everybody, it keeps popping up, and. All these people keep telling me it's a must watch and I never saw it. So like, I think I've got some time over the holidays. I think I'm going to binge it through. Listen, I watched The Wire years ago. It, I wasn't watching it new. So, I mean, they, they I was kind of watching old episodes, but this is like old school. I watched it Netflix when you had to order CDs through the mail. And so, you know, I'd get whatever one of them and watch through what, however many episodes was on one and then have to order, you know, send it back and get the next uh, DVD. You've been in the game a minute. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but right now, so on HBO Max, I'm uh, watching the second season of The White Lotus. And I'm not sure if you've heard of the show White Lotus, but mm-hmm. I love it. What's so, it about? Well, it's so the second season, the, the first season was set in Hawaii. And it's set at a very wealthy or high-end resort. And it's just a super smart show. It deals with uh, contemporary issues. So the... But also it's kind of sassy and and a little irreverent about things. But it... uh, The one in Hawaii was really dealing with uh, indigenous cultures. Was it one of the big themes and how, you know, wealthy, rich people kind of come in and 
you know, with Hawaii in particular and kind of change the whole environment and have this kind of privileged experience there, but right. it, it might not be or often isn't helping the indigenous Bruh. culture there. Facts. And that was one theme. Uh, race and racism is definitely a big theme through that season. This season is set in Italy, and it's kind of a similar thing in this gorgeous resort. And it's uh, kind of dealing, actually the theme is largely centered around people's different attitudes and feelings around sex, but kind of contemporary issues around that. Okay. And again, kind of thought-provoking and edgy, but also irreverent and funny at times. Mm-hmm. And, and actually, both seasons are also, just to make it more interesting, they, both seasons begin with a murder. So also, you're, while you're watching it, you're trying to figure out, okay, who gets killed and who kills them? <laughs> and so the reason I'm talking about it today is the second season, the finale is uh, tomorrow night, Sunday night. So we're, oh. I mean, we'll figure out who died and why did they die. Is this a show where they release it like uh, episode a week? Episode a week. Yeah, oh. they keep you hanging. I appreciate that, though. Yeah, it, you know, it definitely it, works. Well, it brings it back to the back in the day when you didn't get to like go through it like and it. You are forced to just be patient. Yep. Like yep. there's there's something to that. Yep. But uh, but if you now listen, I think if you did a trial HBO Max, you know, subscription, mm-hmm. I th- after the Sunday, I'm pretty sure you could go back and binge season one and season two because I think they're all on there now, or would be all on there now. All right, I'm gonna a cash listener. I'm gonna put you on game right now. If I am correct, for they have a package where you can get HBO Max for two ninety nine for the next three months, and I am all about that life. Let's be clear. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Well, all of them too right now keep raising rates, and so that should have been what what in the world is going on with like all of these streaming services are now figuring out they can push that rate because we're hooked, so they can push that rate up. We are hooked, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, you're right. I'm gonna, you know what? That's gonna be maybe a future. What in the world is going on with? Because there's another one. Like what in the world ha- it goes on with when you get a streaming system and then the things you got it for get taken because somebody else starts their own streaming service and so then it just defeats the whole purpose that you got theirs that's frustrating for sure well and then i heard i don't i don't know if it's true but i just heard that disney is going to introduce disney plus is going to introduce two levels and one's going to involve advertising And I'm like, no, the whole reason I like to stream is that I don't have to watch all that advertising. Well, I think what is happening, maybe, this is just me assuming, is like they've got to offer, because I I assume lots of people are probably like, I don't know anybody that just is streaming one thing. Like they're usually streaming at least three to four. Yep. And my house would probably stream it a lot more than that. Um, But, you know, we, we, we get where we blend within our family. There's a couple I pick up. There's a couple my daughter picks up. You know, sure. we, we, we work it out. Um, but I think they've got to find low-cost options because Netflix is doing that. Netflix is going to have, like, a budget option with commercials. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. And, but, and with less content. So, like, their mm. entire content library is not going to be available through it. And I thought that was really, really interesting. It is interesting. I don't know how I feel about it, but it doesn't hurt to try. <laughs> Well, I mean, it, look, every penny counts, and if, if you're counting those pennies uh, and, and it's going to make a difference, I, I can't knock it. 
Well, that's a good point. And, and especially since you say we're, we're all getting up to multiple subscriptions on multiple channels. You have for, like when you think about one channel, I feel like, oh, that price is pretty reasonable. You know, okay, right. what, $10 a month or something if you're right. watching it a lot. But yeah, but when you get four or five, six channels that you're streaming and paying for, it adds up. It adds up. But, you know, that to be said, it still feels a little cheaper than just cable by oh, itself. For sure. Yeah. Because cable always got me where it was like, oh, they give you this great, great price and they might give it to you for one year or two years and then you forget about it. And then one day you look at your cable bill and you're like, you clutch your pearls. Yeah. What you got it. World? It gives you pause. <laughs> you're like, what in the world? So I don't know. Yeah. I'm afraid streaming's going to get there, though. Let's hope not. Yeah. yeah. Shop local. Shop local. Um, the the one I'm going to highlight because I just enjoyed it last night is Mara's Brazilian Cuisine. Do you know that down in the uh, city center shops? <clears throat> no. No. Okay. <clears throat> Mara's is M-A-R-A apostrophe S. It's a little shop. It was a sandwich shop down there uh, right next to Caramel Crisp. It's now Mara's. It's been that way for a few months, maybe several months. Um, Brazilian cuisine, really wonderful, interesting food. Generally, you can go in there um, and order from the counter at different times, but the easiest way is to go online and order takeout. And so the meal will be prepared for you, and you go in and you grab this fantastic, really interesting meal and take it home. Last night I had shrimp and swordfish dishes with Amazing sauces, rice on the side, and veggies. But also, she does, and I'm going to forget the Brazilian word for them, but the the word I think we often use for them, I think, is croquette, where it's deep-fried mashed potatoes. Mm. Are you familiar with that? Yeah. They, they have it at uh, Beckett's in town. But hers, they look like pears. And inside, you can get, like, ground beef and cheese. You can get, like, a shredded chicken one. Last Ooh. night, I had a like a ham salad one inside one, which was ham salad. Well, it was kind of like, or it might've been sausage, but it was kind of tasted more like ham, but inside the potatoes that have been deep fried and there's some type of crust breading crust on them too. And they're amazing. And she'll, when you order takeout, you do have to, when you get there, you usually do have to wait a few minutes because if you order those, she won't, uh, deep fry them until you get there. So oh. to make sure you get them warm by the time you get home, that they'll still be warm. That's brilliant. Yeah. Yep. There's nothing better than fresh fried things. <laughs> that just makes me happy to hear. And now for better or worse, that's true. Um, uh, yeah. So going back to our earlier conversation, <laughs> things, things that we love that might not love us as much anymore. Deep yep. fried things. Yep. For but sure. But I'm not in that space to give up the deep friedness. There's a lot of happiness associated with deep fried things. Yeah, there is. All right, I'm going to have to check out Mars. That sounds pretty sweet. Do we got a favorite thing for there yet? Well, she has a a shrimp dish that she does. um, A lot of her, I think that one you can order anytime. She has daily specials, so you kind of have to hit the days if you want certain things. But uh, the shrimp, I think, is always available. And it's just... The shrimp, I don't know where she gets it, but it's perfectly cooked and amazing. But it's in this creamy sauce that's just heavenly. So you eat it over rice. Okay. Gosh, listeners, you heard it. Field trip. Yeah. We got to check this out. Okay. 
Um, Aaron, I'm going to do what I always do. You're going to have to take me here. We're going to have to go and we're going to have to break bread and try this out. I love it. So okay. we can report back. That I want to be, be able to, I want to, if you could see the happiness, like, you know, when food is really good is when people smile when they talk about it. Aaron has the big fat <laughs> smile as he continues to talk about these dishes. So like, I'm super excited to try this out. Well, you'll, if you go to, or when we go, you'll see that Mara herself is also a character. I mean, oh. in all the wonderful ways, very you know, outgoing, engages you, tell, talks to you about the food, wants you to really understand the culture behind the food and what's in it. So that, that adds to the experience as well. Love it. Okay. Leadership. This, so, um, I actually didn't think about this word till I saw it on the sheet here this morning, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to, it's kind of heavy, but talk about it in a way that kind of sets up maybe our conversation for later in, later today or later this morning. But um, leadership, I, w- I want to talk a little bit about leadership and race and my children. So I shared with you before we started that I have, you know, four adopted sons. The older two happen to be white. The younger two happen to be black. And our experience as parents has been that they're, experience in the community and in school is different can be different facts and my partner my husband and i paul we were as our uh two black sons entered school we we kind of kept having issues with the school every few months it felt like we were in there you know kind of trying to sort something out and after we had done that for a few years we learned that some other families of the school, and we had seen things, you know, that were having issues too. And it kind of hit us that, oh, we've been so focused on advocating for our own kids that we've kind of forgot that we have to use our voices and our privilege to advocate for other families as well and other other kids who might not have, you know, someone who kind of has the ability to get in front of people and the confidence and all that too, and the privilege to, you know, insert their voice into a conversation and say, this is important to be heard. Yep. Yep. To be heard. Exactly. So I think leader, you know, so what popped out for me on that was just that um, realization of the need to step up and for for my husband Paul and I, that need has been kind of centered around racial equity and our kids in the school district and us kind of taking, as when we can, taking a leadership voice in that uh, issue. Oh, that there's so many things. I have so many questions and, and like, uh, yeah, the, because you are really getting to see like, the difference I and, and I, I mean how could you not right here you have these white sons and you have these black sons um, when when you first saw how let's say I, I don't know how to put it maybe the school school system whoever educators whatever engaged your children differently were you surprised or did you just think it was a fluke uh, or was it something where you were like, oh, did it give you pause? 
what was your immediate reaction? Like, it, because I don't think, I think it's easy for people to write some things off because they're only get to see one side of it. And they're thinking it can't possibly yet. Yeah, you hear this. It can't possibly be as bad as what they're saying. Right. Or I didn't think that really existed anymore. Or maybe they're being a little sensitive, you know, or these really good people. So I can't see them making these, these mistakes. So it's all of that. And I would say added to that is a level of, I don't quite have the right words for it, but almost um, em- embarrassment, or there's a word there where you kind of don't want to believe that your kid would be treated that way or singled out. And to admit it, that they're being treated differently, somehow feels, you feel bad about it, you know, and you kind of have to get beyond that, that, you know, no, there's there's probably a truth here. Ours, I think, would have to do with, you know, it happens once, and you're like, oh, that's a little weird. It happens again, like, you know, by the third time, you're like, okay, we really need to pay attention to this. So one story I tell, because I think stories are a little more concrete yes. when you can tell them when it, when, uh, when it comes to this topic in particular, is uh, when our oldest son, Dustin, was in kindergarten, One day we got a note home in his backpack from the teacher that said, today, Dustin choked another student. I talked to him about it, and he said he didn't know why he did it, but he wouldn't do it again. Period. (laughs) Bruh. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Beginning and end. That was it. That was it. That was it. And we're like, oh, okay, that's weird. It's not really Dustin's temperament. But kindergartners, you know, do weird things. You know, they're kids. They're learning. That was beginning and end of it. When uh, our third son was in kindergarten and had only been there for a couple weeks, we got an email from the principal that said, Caden spent some time in the principal's office today because he has been targeting another student on the playground and he's going to spend some time in the principal's office tomorrow as well so that he has some time to you know really think about this so i i mean that instantly i was like targeting i mean he's a kindergarten what that's a strong word that is a really strong word and also i'm one of those people who like principal's office is pretty serious (laughs) for a kindergartner that's very very serious right so, and, and he has to go in again, you know, so I was concerned. It just happened. Um, my husband, Paul was concerned, you know, it kind of raised our level of what, well, this is strange. Um, but it, you know, was kind of a first experience, but we just happened to have a parent teacher conference coming up. It was a get to know you conference. So one of those really short ones where you're just supposed to kind of go and talk to the teacher. So we brought this up. We was like, Hey, this happened with Caden. We're concerned about it. And the teachers who were great, it was a co-taught classroom, the teachers was like, yeah, we're, we're sorry about that. We don't know why that recess monitor took that to the principal. They really should have spoken to us about it. There's, those two have been kind of having a dynamic in the classroom. And in the classroom, it was more kind of the student focused on Caden. So Caden must have kind of been using recess to kind of, you know, defend himself or whatever a little bit back or but she was like but we've worked on it in the classroom and they're friends now it's all worked out 
So we didn't, so we, you know, we just kind of left it there. But to be honest, we've had multiple experiences like that. And it's not to say anybody's ill-intentioned in this, but, and actually, it wasn't until recently that I've learned to just be very clear about this, how to, to try to be clear about it and articulate it clearly. We believe that our younger two sons who are black are often disciplined to a degree that is not consistent with the behavior and their age. Bruh. Powerful. Yeah. I I literally got goosebumps when you said it because you said it with such honest authenticity and conviction. I felt that. I felt that in my soul. I felt that. It's kind of hard to articulate too because you don't maybe want to be that blunt but then it's like okay no because i've been trying to tell these stories and think people will get the punchline or get no. the moral of it and it's like oh no i just need to stay this is the issue you got to create pause you got to you got to say it in such a way that it 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 it's not easy to do it definitely takes courage um but it, you've got to say it in an unapologetic way so you cuz what you're really saying is I see this. Do you see this? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not, you know, I'm not sure if it's breaking through yet. I think people don't, you know, want to admit it's kind of an ugly thing to admit. And, but when I do talk about it, I want, uh, I do, you know, to be fair, I don't want to, say that teachers or administrators are intentionally doing this. Absolutely I, not. But I well, do. Uh, here's what I'm going to say. I, I do think it is not, if I was going to say it's anything, I would call it unconscious bias. Right. Yeah. I don't, I don't think any, I think most 99.9% of most educators have the greatest intent. They're in that, they're in the business for a reason. They're, Usually 1,000% amazing. I know so many educators, and they're just good, solid people. But they're human. Yep, yep, that's exactly it. They're human. And they also are subject to the, the things of anyone else, which means they also may not have diverse lives. They may live in silos. Um. And and until someone says it, they may not realize it. That's it's that exactly. I I mean, we are so grateful for the teachers that our kids have had the, at E Cook and Webster. I mean, just outstanding teachers doing great work, and really have had a lot of our uh, concerns haven't even been with teachers they've been with ancillary programs like the after after school program or they have been with um you know administration you know we feel like coming down a little too hard you know this is a kindergartner or a first grader or even if they're a fourth grader this kid's 10 years old like 10 year olds do stupid things facts (laughs) actually i think it comes it comes in the description (laughs) right 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 you're supposed to do you're supposed to get all the stupid stuff out while you're young and, and you're still cute and people will forgive you <laughs> exactly yep yeah so anyway so that's kind of been our journey 
we are trying when we have opportunities to speak, speak up about it. And, and part of that is because we've seen and heard other families who are having the same experience and maybe don't quite have the, you know, ability, or again, it really is a privilege thing. I feel pretty confident that I'm going to call up the principal and say, we need to meet, we need to talk. And I'm going to expect, you know, a response. I'm going to expect some type of change or response that corrects, you know, or makes, tries to make amends in the situation. Yeah. Um, I think sometimes what gets lost, um, particularly with interactions between parents and administrators, you know, I did work in the school system for a little bit. I've been around a little bit. And um, what people forget uh, inside of the um, administration of schools is like their interaction with the parent. Some parents are carrying the trauma of when they went to school. Mm -hmm. So, they have a tough time advocating because it feels like they're in trouble or they're they go back to when they went to school and they were treated this way and they can't they can't articulate or they feel like they're automatically going to be treated or uh, considered wrong or, or invalidated um, and I and I saw that time and time again and it had everything to do with their experience when they were in school and they just assumed nothing changed. So they're just assuming they're not going to be heard now as a parent any more than they were heard when they were students and their parents tried to advocate. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think that's important to hear and think about. I know it's kind of unpleasant, but it's just true. And my husband and I saw it numerous times. It's just kind of one example of that is at our, our boys school there was an after school program and the coordinator of that and it could be a challenging program and challenging behaviors but would often witness this coordinator confronting parents and their students as they were picking them up and these were in the days where you'd come into the school because of COVID and safety you don't usually go into school but you know in front of other parents and kids would be kind of I would say pretty assertively, if not aggressively, you know, confronting student behavior issues to the parents kind of in this very public setting. And it's just, you know, after you see that multiple times, even once, but at multiple times like this, this is not good. Yeah. And to be fair, um, there's also a side of things where not, not all parents are well engaged. So I, I'm a person, I always want to talk on both sides of a thing because I want to make sure, like, to make sure one side isn't thinking like we're saying we don't see the, the like, we're not familiar or understand that other side, too. Like, there's also a, um, a side where um, some people leave a great amount of responsibility to the schools in their programs, Um and they and they might need to engage a little more firmly and regularly. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think that's obviously true. And you know, every family, every situation is different and complex. Um, yeah. But I think it's important what you said too is you know, okay, if these parents aren't as engaged or don't feel as confident interacting with the school and collaborating with the school to look for solutions. I mean, that's yes. something with Paul and I, again, kind of that privilege issue, but we always have this thing like, let's work together. 
you know, we can enforce behaviors at home. We can, you know, if you have a discipline, little notes, let us know, did you have a good day or a bad day? If you had a bad day, no iPad tonight, but feel very confident, you know, like we can work together on this, you know, so kind of like you said, if the parent's not as engaged or doesn't realize there could be a collaborative effort there, you know, why is that? (laughs) All right. That was fantastic. All right. Community. So I kind of have a complex answer to this, um, but a thing that I have grown to appreciate about Oshkosh is the range of people that call this place home and can make a life here and find their interests and their community here and feel comfortable here. Um, And why I say that is my... uh, Four sons. I I don't know where they will go in life, who they might be. They all receive uh, special ed services of some kind or another. So their their challenges are all a little different, and what their um, abilities and and future might be. You know, it's all a little different and unclear. But I feel pretty confident, no matter what, Oshkosh is going to be a good home for them. That they're no matter you know what job they end up pursuing, that they'll be able to live here, be a, a valuable member of the community, and uh, and have a place to call home. And I, I think we've got a lot of work to do for uh, black and brown people to make sure that that's true for them. But I know I've heard you say it, I believe that, you know, things are changing and getting better. But, um, but anyway, and, and the reason I, I share that experience is, this has been a number of years ago, but my husband's from the East Coast, his family's out there. And at one point there was a job that maybe would be a good fit for me. I didn't even apply for it, but you know, we were talking, what would it mean to move out there? Well, that area, because of the cost of living is very segregated economically job profession wise. And we're like, would we want to live in a community where maybe our sons, as they go out into the world, wouldn't even be able to afford to live in that community. And so they, their home wouldn't be their home. They, just, they wouldn't be their Bruh. home you know, as they grew into adults. Anyway, yeah. so that's a p- part of it. appreciated. I love, you know, uh, e- eCook, you know, where our kids have gone, is a really neat school. And it's not to say it's perfect, you know, clearly, as we've been talking about, but a really neat school. And the thing I love about it is the range of, people who go there. So uh, from range of race and ethnicity, but job profession, economic level, you know, interest level, it's a very uh, eclectic school and everybody is kind of making it work. I do. Um, Some of the schools to me, I think are so cool um, in the demographics that they share um, because they, there's racial diversity, there's socioeconomic diversity, like, you know, my daughter definitely, she went through the, uh, the Kosh school system, like, it, it, for, for Northeast Wisconsin, I like to think that she had a pretty decent, diverse experience, and I had all sorts of young ladies over at the house, uh, coming, you know, hanging out and doing what young ladies do, <laughs> which, you know, which is eat your food and, and, and stuff and hang out and watch stuff and dance around and stuff. Uh, but I, she had a really good group of friends and, and it, I, they were, they were all different, you know, and I, and I appreciated that, that, 
she got to have that experience here in the Kosh. I think it's a great thing about the community. I think our school, um, the way our school district is set up generally really encourages that kind of crossover between a lot of different people. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. We're going to jump into the next segment, the Kosh Hidden gems. This is your opportunity to share a hidden gem associated with the uh, the region or here in the cache. Uh, it doesn't have to be a, a place. It can be whatever it is, or it could be something we all know about, and maybe we just don't know something special about it. Well, I've got. I'm, we're going with a theme today, but I have a pretty unique one, and I'm not sure if you've heard of it. But have you heard of Umoja, which is a local organization, but also an annual retreat? that happens in the area no 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 i i've heard the term right umoja i didn't know there's an organization yep there's an organization that is uh the woman who runs it is in appleton um but she organizes an annual retreat that happens in green lake uh and she calls it umoja and she works with a number of people um in the region but it is a weekend retreat for transracial families so primarily white adults who have adopted black kids Mm. and it's a really cool weekend the kids um have a lot of opportunities to you know play together learn together but also have experiences with black culture so music historical figures um, all sorts of things it's primarily uh, college students i think from saint norbert's who uh, lead the activity so um the uh primarily black students from saint norbert so they have an experience with kind of older kids you know to mentor them um but then the adults we uh have educational sessions offered to us that are primarily led by and this is really eye-opening primarily led by adults who are black who as children they were adopted by white families Bruh. whoa yeah Oh my God, that sounds super powerful. It's pretty powerful. Honestly, it's hard. A lot of what they have to say is very hard to hear um, because a lot of their experiences were not positive. You know, that, you know, a lot of them were adopted um, 70s, 80s, you know, because they're adults now, they're professionals out in the world. But the mindset, then and i think kind of now especially by white families is oh i don't see color i'm colorblind and would kind of could kind of erase their child's experience so you know if the kid's getting picked on a lot in school not addressing that there's a race issue there right um and so then the kid you know learns that oh i can't talk about this even though this is what my experience is i can't advocate for myself yeah And it's, you know, so that, I mean, as a parent, I would say, you know, often when I've gone, I felt like I've gotten kind of punched in the gut because you realize about uh, the challenges that your sons are facing and you realize about your responsibilities as a parent. Um, I was very, very naive when we um, accepted our younger two sons as foster parents and then adopted them. I mean, had all the notions that any parent has love these kids they need a home happy to have them you know with me proud to be their dad 
but honestly was very naive about the level of responsibility that I was taking on. Hmm. That's fantastic. Um, what, if I can ask, what's one of the greatest takeaways from that, from taking that responsibility that you've, that you've, that's come to realization? Yeah. So one is, you know, beginning to be really intentional about making sure that my son's have relationships and experiences with uh, other black, um, you know, adults and for sure. And, uh, you know, older youth, you know, that, that they uh, can see themselves reflected, have those relationships are comfortable in those relationships. Yes. So, you know, so, and we should do a lot more and could do a lot more, but one example, I'm, about just being very intentional about it is when uh, Sylvia Carey Butler was in town mm-hmm. at the university and I knew her and I reached out to her and I said, you know, my sons really need a black mentor who can spend some time with them. They don't have any black male adult in their life right now. Is Do you have any thoughts about this? And she absolutely said, I have, oh yeah, there's this guy, he's a great student. I think he'd love it. He was on the football team, you know, maybe not your typical uh, uh, person who's going to hang out, you might think hang out with little boys because they were pretty young at that time. But for a number of years, he uh, came over to our house on Sunday afternoons and just played with the boys, usually roughed house with them. They broke some things. (laughs) (laughs) But that was uh, Rajon Hall. I don't know if you know Rajon. Oh, I do know Rajon. Okay. Yeah. So he, who, who would have thought like he came over to our house for a couple years on Sundays and, Great gentleman. Yeah. He's doing, he's doing really well. And the boys still, we went to some of his football games, you know, so they could kind of see him play football. And it it was so just one thing where that's not going to happen on its own, you know, so as a parent need to try to figure out how to make that happen. Take that initiation. Um, I can only imagine how powerful it was for Rajan also. Oh yeah. I hope so. We're, you know, still in touch on Facebook. He's doing amazing things. Really, really awesome person. Okay. Um, what's the cash need? Well, we clearly have a theme going here today, but I, I'm like you. I have a lot of, I love Oshkosh, have a lot, a lot of optimism about, you know, Oshkosh's future and where it's going. Um, but I do think we, Oshkosh needs to have a more kind of intentional mindset about diversity and that we can't just, hope it all happens and goes smoothly that, you know, there needs to be similar. Like I was talking as a parent, just intentional action that when there's opportunities to say, or to look for opportunities where, Hey, this could, this situation could be better. Is there something, instead of just hoping it changes, you know, is there something intentional we can do? And I think little things go a long ways. Oh yeah. Well, it takes the little things to make the big things. Yep. Yep. And my other thing would be, um, I agree one, 1,000% with you. Like, there needs to be that. And the other thing we can't continue to do is to act like we don't need to do anything. Yeah. Like, because that's a feeling I get. Like, uh, there's there's this thing where our our community, you know, I've been here 30. We've drastically changed who, who we are 
who our identity is and will continue to be. You know, I just, um, I forgot who I was talking to and they had just, you know, I, I, I have said this multiple times on multiple episodes, you know, I, this, the population, our diverse population of our schools right now is at 25%. And someone corrected me and they're like, Oh no, we're at 29 now. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, once again, and I've said this, you can't put the Jack back in the box. So we're going to continue to transition and transform. And I feel like we need to be proactive versus reactive and just making this a more welcoming space for all of who we're becoming, our new identity, the new identity of the Kosh. Yep, absolutely. You know, this, I kind of cringe to tell this story, but it's a true story. And it shows to me what a powerful project the Color Brave Photo Project was that Tracy Robertson did. Mm. That when I came here 20 years ago, it was told to me more than once in just a matter of fact way that, oh, Oshkosh really didn't have black people living here until the prison was built. I was going to say, this is the prison. Yeah. It's always, I've heard that. Oh my God, it drives me nuts. (laughs) And so I was, you know, naive. My eyes weren't open. And so I just accepted that as truth. I'm like, oh, okay. Mm -hmm." You know? And so for years until the color brave photo project, I just thought that was true. I had accepted it as truth. And then you find out like, Oh no, wait, it's actually not true. <laughs> you know, both statistically data wise, it's not true, but also when black and brown families have moved here, it's for all the reasons that any other family has moved here. <laughs> oh my God. I, um, I say that all the time, all the time. So that's why, I mean, I just think that's a great example of, of intentional, thoughtful thing that happened. And I think it changed. I'm not saying the whole community changed between a one project, but it opened my eyes. And I think there were other people who were really impacted by that project. I just feel like it was a, it was a really, um, it was this excuse the community decided to, it was this narrative of an excuse they decided to create. So they didn't have to face the fact that they needed to start understanding the community is transforming. It was because what it does is it discounts. They don't know the harm that that narrative does. Right. Because, and I can't tell you, I hear it all that I've heard it ever since I've set foot. This has been a 30 year narrative and it's still used and it's used on all levels. It's used. uh, I've heard situations where there's officers that still share this narrative and they believe this. And it's just like, you gotta be kidding me. Right. Um, we can't be here for any other reason. And if you really even know how the corrections work, it would make no sense. It yeah. makes no sense that that would happen because if I'm correct, um, the people who are in these correctional facilities here in Ashkash, I think they're, it's short time. It's like at most, I think a year and a half. And then if they have longer stuff, they move somewhere else, but it's not long term. No one's moving their family. The other thing is this, why would you think people, would move, uproot their family to be closer to someone that's incarcerated. And my question back is always, would you? Mm-hmm. Well, no. Then why do you think we would? Mm-hmm. Are we not 
<laughs> you know, that that's yeah. always my question. Like, why would you think that if you I've never had anybody actually say they would. And I'm not saying like that. It's never happened. Have I met people that it's that's happened? Yes. But it wasn't to be closer to the person that was incarcerated. It's that they learned about how nice it was to live in this community visiting the person that was incarcerated and found that there was more job opportunities and more in safety and a good school system. So then they decided to move. Right. But yep. it, it wasn't like I'm moving here to be closer to this incarcerated individual. Yeah, exactly. And that's, I mean, I like that story that you tell too, because that's, um, that's a good thing. You know, if someone did move here because there was some history with the prison, it's a new family in town. Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, adding they, to the vibrancy. So, yeah, they just found like there was really good opportunities and resources. So they moved. And, yeah. and that's exactly why people do move. I think there's also a truth to this story that Oshkosh has forgotten about. And the people who are saying that, oh, you know, we didn't have black people in the community, you know, blah, 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 is that they had forgotten maybe selective amnesia. Um, but I think maybe the generation about why there weren't black people living in Oshkosh before. Oh, facts. And uh, there actually were black people who lived in Oshkosh at the turn of the century. Um, but in the 20s, I mean, it's chilling, but the KKK was very active in this area. People don't know that but it's true where pick and save is now there was a massive kkk tabernacle a building like a structure that was huge Bruh. Mm. that um this in the 1920s that ho hosted kkk rallies regional kkk rallies here in oshkosh I mean, that's chilling um also uh Oshkosh was, my understanding was effectively a sundown town for many, many years, that while there weren't laws on the books, that uh, it was expected that, you know. The black, culture was in place. The culture was in place that black people weren't, you know, welcomed in the town and were going to be ushered out of the town well, by sunset. to be fair, I believe that's just the region as a whole. Well. That, 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 no, just seriously, because I, I that was... Appleton, that was Fond du Lac, that was yeah. that was just the region, yeah. and then you know I'm not trying to take any heat off of it, but it was the culture of this region, from my understanding. Um, yeah, that and that makes sense, and um, and then I know I've seen population data statistics that really by the 50s and into the 70s there were virtually no, like a handful of black people left living in Oshkosh. And, I mean, I think that's largely because of decades of being made to feel unwelcome here. I think because it happened over decades, probably uh, people who grew up here didn't even necessarily realize how it had happened or why it had happened. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's great that, you know, the community's changing and that... Uh, we're beginning to reflect more of the diversity of the country. It's kind of slow going, but I think it's a good thing. Facts. Okay. You know, I said at the beginning of this that this was going to be a vibe. And this is, um, there's, there's power in acknowledgement and truth can't really move forward if we just don't actually 
say the tough things and then let's have a talk about that. Exactly. Yeah, I feel very strongly about that, that especially these, the topics, um, and we'll get into that, but uh, race, racism, racial equity make people really uncomfortable um, for a lot of reasons. Oh, yeah. And But I think it's really important to push through that. And uh, and it's not going to be a perfect conversation, but we've got to have the conversation. You know what I want to say about that, and then we'll go to the next segment, is um, here's the funny thing. I don't think a lot of people understand that those conversations are uncomfortable to the people of color, too. Mm, oh, sure. Yeah. Like, we don't really want to have those conversations. You know what we want? We just want to be. Yeah. Like, I don't want to talk about that stuff. Yeah. I just want to be. Yeah. I just want to be. And, but I, we have to talk about those things so we can be. Well, that's when we get to the topic of the week. We'll get there. That's why I worded it a specific way. Mm, love it. Love it. Okay. Um, Naughty Slash Heroes Corner. This is your opportunity to tell us, put somebody in the naughty slash hero, not necessarily a body. It can be an organization. It can be a thing. It can be, it's whatever you want it to be. Uh, Aaron, what do you have? So I have both. Oh, and I like this. Current event. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> current event. Um, so in the naughty corner, he's actually already on the naughty list, one of these. And so he'll get an extra uh, strike next to his name. But uh, Senator Johnson, he's, he's on my naughty list this week. Um, and, uh, Congressman Grothman, we can add to that list too. They both voted against a bill in the past two weeks that would protect both interracial marriage and same-sex marriage. Facts. And the bill passed both the Senate and the Congress with bipartisan support. Mm -hmm. There were 12 Republican senators who voted for it. There were 39 congressmen. So they could have, you know, been with still with their party and voted um, in favor of it, but they did not. Um, but then my hero is Senator Tammy Baldwin, who is credited, voted for it, but not only voted for it, but is really credited as the one who for months has been very strategic about this bill, had the conversations that needed to be had, got the votes that they needed to get, and knew that when it was brought forward that it was going to pass. So she, you know, was smart, got it done, and so shout out to Senator uh, Baldwin. Yes. And this is not about party, this is about principle. Yeah, and I and it's just, you know, I've I had to decide a long time ago that when it comes to my family and the uh, rights and laws around my family that I'm going to be honest and vocal and speak out about it. Um, this, I don't, th- you know, I think some people might not understand how important this bill is, but there was no federal t- protection for interracial marriage nope. and gay marriage beyond a Supreme Court decision. And mm-hmm. usually that's Trump's everything. Right. But if that Supreme Court decision were to change, which is very possible. Right. If it's not codified in the law, right, things can change. And we, we didn't think that was possible until it happened. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, if the Supreme Court decision gets thrown out or changed, a lot of 
laws against interracial marriage would go automatically back in effect. Wisconsin actually has a constitutional amendment that bans gay marriage, so it would uh, that constitutional amendment would go back into effect. Why that affects why that's so important for my family, besides the legal relationship between uh, my husband Paul and myself, which is really important for a number of reasons. This I, I think people would find fascinating, but you know I've mentioned Paul and I adopted four sons through foster care. When they were adopted, we did not have legal marriage, and only one of us was able to legally adopt them. So the way it worked is we Paul legally adopted all of them, but we changed their last name to my last name. So they got my name, but I was not their legal parent for many, many years. And it wasn't until the Supreme Court decision that made marriage legal, our marriage legal, that I could go back. This is kind of fascinating. I went back and had to do a step parent adoption. So similar to, you know, Mm. if a couple remarried or someone remarried in a relationship and that parent wanted to, the new parent wanted to adopt the children of the other parent. So I went through the exact same process that a step parent would go through to adopt my own children who I'd always raised. But that ability was based on marriage law. So that that's why this bill in particular is so important to me, that safeguard that if the Supreme Court decision changes, I need to know that my family, my my marriage and my kids are still mine legally. Mm. Bruh. Yes. Facts. Okay. I think we are going to take a quick commercial break. Okay. All right. Hi, I'm Dawn Gulke, the Executive Director of Casa of the Fox Cities. Science proves that one consistent adult can change the story of a child. Could that one person be you? Become a court-appointed special advocate. Build a relationship with a child, help identify their needs, and give that child a voice in a process that can otherwise feel lonely. Contact us today. Children who have experienced abuse and neglect can't wait. Learn more about Casa of the Fox Cities at casafc.org or call Leah at 920-257-4733. Okay, we are back. And we are now at the point of the show, which you already know. Okay, it makes me happy every time. Every time. I, I don't know why, but it's fire. It just says, all right, topic of the week time. We're about to jump into this. And so it is topic of the week time. And Aaron, we got a thing. We've got a thing. We've been circling around it. So what is our topic of the week? So the topic of the week that I, I'm glad I get to bring up is white people talking about race, racism, and racial equity. I look all right y'all uh, I'm 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 along for this I was um when when Aaron told me because usually I, I ask the guest what the, sometimes the guest volunteers what their topic of the week is going to be in advance um 
And then sometimes I find out that in that day when I when we start recording in the morning. And in this case, I found out today and then I I I took a deep breath and I said, I'm along for this ride. Let's do this. Well, thank you for giving me a platform. Um, So to be honest, so I actually wrote something of a manifesto or I wrote this out a number of years ago. It's been, I think, at least five years ago. Um, when I realized that a problem with the conversation about race, racism, and racial equity is that white people didn't like to talk about it. And if they did talk about it, they wanted to do kind of these statements where, oh, I just believe we should treat everybody the same. And and, and that's a nice sentiment, of course, mm-hmm. but it would kind of end the discussion, you know, like, oh, but not really wanting to engage in it. Right. I don't see color. I don't see color. And um, another thing that I realized is that for most white people, their their understanding of racism is really stuck in the 1960s and how racism was talked about in the 1960s, mm. which racists were those really mean, awful white people who yelled at you know black school kids as they were walking into school buildings. Like, those are racist. I'm not that. And the understanding of racism has really evolved, um, especially just over the past like 10 years, where racism now really needs to be thought about as, you know, really any behavior structure that is unfair and harms people because of race. So, you know, one of the things um, that I think he does very good things, but President Biden at one point said, I don't have a racist bone in my body. And when he says that, he's using that 1960s thing. Like, I would never do that. I'm not racist. But he's part of a a system, you know, a government and a system that's definitely privileged white people. And, uh, you know, so decisions, he can't help. But some of the decisions and some of the things do have a racist element to them. And I know that's a really strong word, but that has and continues to some degree harm people of color because of that history. What do you mean? Well, okay, so, you know, I, I think stories are the most powerful. No, I'm, a, I'm all about good narratives. Narratives, to me, you know what? No one ever forgets a good narrative. <laughs> okay, well, I think it's important for me, and it, this is, you know, one way that my eyes were opened, um, is, and this is talking about, the idea of systemic racism, and that's really kind of what you know what we're talking about now. Racism today, besides the really overt, awful kind, is also the systemic kind that's you know kind of under the surface or not even under the surface. It's operating in our daily life, and we don't even know it. So here's so my story is uh, my kids' elementary school. For years, the PTO has run an art program called Masterpiece Art, where parents come in and talk to kids um, about artists, about great artworks and artists. And it was a way to kind of introduce the arts into the school and give the arts some extra attention, I suppose. I did this for a number of years. Um, I have a background in art and comfortable talking about art. And the program had 30 artists. The idea was over six years, students would be introduced to five artists. Um, Out of those 30 artists, Three, I believe, were 
a woman or a person of color. And of those three, one was a woman who was a person of color. So we, so very, mostly it was all white men. But what was interesting is I didn't pay attention to that first because I had learned about all these artists in school and I was really comfortable talking about all these artists. So I was more than happy to go up and talk about, you know, Jackson Pollock or Pablo Picasso and show a picture of the artist and talk about the artwork in front of the class. But as I did that over a few years, I became more uncomfortable as I'm looking out and seeing who I'm teaching and the classroom is 30, 40% black and brown students and I'm pointing to this old white guy you know, who made some crazy art and somehow telling him them that he's super important. And maybe he is, but I'm not even beginning to give equal, you know, uh, justice to uh, artists of color. Why that's systemic is when I went to art school, I was taught by a white male art history instructor. All of my classes were, except one was a TA who happened to be a woman, but for the most, the main instructor was still a white male. The textbook, the main art history textbook that I learned from, written by a a white guy, and, you know, 95% of the artists in that book were old white guys. And so, of course, then when I go to teach kids about art, I'm going to rely on those, that years of history of what I've learned about art and going to kind of perpetuate that system. And, uh, and then, so, so then the next step is, well, if you want to change, how are you going to change it? So I'm like, well, I've got to introduce some black artists, you know, into this and, and black and brown artists. And I have to be honest, it was hard. I didn't feel as I didn't know these artists as well. I had to look, you know, I had to go find new artists doing things, you know, maybe trying to figure out what they were doing and then try to understand their art. Um, Even, you know, it's true just how to pronounce their names. You know, I wasn't comfortable with their names necessarily and uh, had to, you know, get to the point where, okay, I might not know everything about this artist as much as I should, but... I'm, I'm still going to get in front of the classroom and teach about this artist because it's important and I'll get, I'll get better at it. So one of the artists I started teaching about was Kahindi Wiley, who um, is a black gay artist, but happens to be the artist who did uh, Barack Obama's presidential portrait that mm. is now in the uh, Smithsonian National Portrait Gallery. Right. And he, just amazing artist, does beautiful artwork where he takes... Uh, African-American people, paints gorgeous portraits of them, but often puts them in settings, very ornate settings, um, you know, beautiful backgrounds, often uh, maybe in a throne or something that kind of elevates those people to the same uh, that uh, nobility or historical figures would have been painted. Anyway, amazing artist. Kids responded like crazy to it, but it was very intentional and it was not necessarily easy, you know, again, to find an artist, get com- comfortable with that artist, learn their name, feel like I could design an activity that kids could do about that artist. Cause that was part of the learning as kids do an art activity as well. So right. anyway, so that's, I mean, just my example of, you know, systemic racism and what it takes to disrupt that. So my thought, here's where my mind went and I don't want to take us too far off the path is um, when did you find the courage? Because uh, there's a conversation 
that's being had and that I'm having with individuals right now is there's really a plethora, a ton of really well-intentioned people who want to do better. Mm -hmm. But right now they're scared. Yeah. There's this fear of being canceled and, and, if I go in there, I want to learn or I want to do something different or, I, you know, but if I say the wrong thing, I'm scared. I'm going to be attacked. I'm going to be canceled. I'm going to be whatever. And there's this fear. Um, did you have those same worries? And what gave you the courage to move forward? Regardless, even though you, you just said, like, I this... This wasn't my comfort zone stuff, yep. but I still intentionally went there and made a difference. Yeah, I think all of that's true. Uh, you know, and there's still some of that, you know, talking about these things are is difficult. And I say stupid stuff and have to get comfortable with, okay, you know, saying something stupid and acknowledging that it was stupid and how to correct that. But, you know, really my two sons realizing that like, oh, I'm their dad and this is my job. Um, the, yeah. And, and I've, uh, I said that, you know, Paul and I were kind of aware that we were speaking up for our sons, but then also like, well, we can't just change these specific situations that are happening, but have to do what we can to change the environment and, and speak out about that. Um, that is why I kind of, I, I, wrote something of a manifesto or a statement about white people talking about race and racism um, because of that very thing. And so one is like, yeah, it's going to make you uncomfortable. But first you need to learn about uh, the different topics, kind of understand what racism is today, understand what white privilege means. And people kind of can freak out about that, but it's just kind of a fact. So like being able to talk about it, uh, need to talk about, you know, things like white space, uh, need to talk about racial equity and just begin to have an awareness of those. And then something that, uh, you might appreciate is that I say that white people need to talk to each other who are kind of on that same journey and need to get kind of comfortable having the conversation so that they're, 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 they're comfortable saying the words race and racism and talking about discrimination and bias and all that without, you know, without, you know, too much fear of feeling too uncomfortable. But having that conversation with other white people, I think it's really important. Today is a little different, but I think it's really important when white people are talking about racism, if they're in the presence of African-Americans, that uh, they understand uh that the black people have the authority. This is their, their life experience. So they need to listen to them, but also um, not, you know, force or, or assume that African-Americans and black people want to talk about these topics, you know, cause like you were saying, it's kind of, it, it can be like, oh, I'd rather not have to talk about these, but I have to. <laughs> so just being sensitive to that as well. And then I think, uh, white people need to understand that they will say stupid things and they might get some criticism for that, but they'll be okay. <laughs> they, they can apologize and hopefully people will accept the apology, but 
saying stupid things just kind of goes with the territory when you're talking about a new topic. I, yes, I talk about this very often. Um, as I talk to people and, um, and my thing is, as I always say, um, stay engaged. Um, you're going to say wrong things. Forgive yourself. Show grace to yourself. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Show grace to yourself, but don't stop. Don't stop. Go get right back in the room. Get right back on the horse. Yeah, I love and that. And continue on the growth. Um, that there truly lets me know. Like, I, I admire that. Like, if I know you, if I know your intent, um, and it's one, and it's, and it's a good one. Yep. Solid. Right. I'm not getting hung up on these little mistakes, you know? Um, and I think people got to remember when you do see some things where there's these outbursts and stuff like that, sometimes it's just really long built up things, long built up things. And you might've been the 82nd person who said <laughs> that thing or touched that thing or somebody earlier did whatever. And it's not about all of that energy isn't about that moment with you. So show yourself grace. Yeah, I like that. And, um, you know, and then kind of one of my last things, and this, this is kind of my own experience too, is that we need to get comfortable talking about race and racism. Because one thing, especially for parents, is we need to be able to talk to kids about it. Because kids are seeing it, they're experiencing it. And to not, if we're not comfortable talking about it ourselves, how are we going to talk with our kids about it? And that was a real realization in my home that, you know, it's not necessarily a fun thing to talk about race, racism, discrimination, the experience our kids are having, but we need to have that conversation, be intentional about having that conversation in our family, in our home, so that when they do have these experiences, that they have some language to put around it and some understanding and I'll tell you, my sons don't always apply it cor maybe quite correctly. You know, sometimes they'll come home and say, oh, this teacher's racist. I'm like, well, tell me what's going on. Okay, <laughs> let's talk. Maybe, maybe not. But but at least, you know, they have some language and they're trying to figure it out. Right. Um, one other thing, and this is going to jump big, but why I think this is really important for us as a community. And this is just one statistic that... Last year, 17 students were expelled from the Oshkosh Area School District. That's more than double a typical year. Of those 17, 13 of those students were students of color. And even worse is that of those 17, nine were black. And based on the percentage of black students in the school district, which is 7%, that um, that rate is 22 times higher than white students were suspended. 22 times higher than like equity should tell us it should be if ever, if everybody was kind of having the same experience through school. Right. 22 times is a chilling number. That we're not talking 10% more, 20% more. We're not even talking 200% more likely. We're talking two, more than two thousand times or two thousand percent more likely to be suspended in the school district and i think we need to be able to talk about that i feel like it's 
and now I don't I don't keep a close eye on what's happening in there. Um, where's the challenge? Where will, do you, is the conversation being had? Do you think? Because um, if you could pull those numbers, someone else has said it out loud in some some space, maybe a space where no one was at, but. <laughs> Well, actually, to be honest, to get those numbers took quite a bit of work to of asking several times. And actually, ultimately, um, it helped that Miles McGuire with the Oshkosh Examiner was asking for them, too, um, for last school year. Um, and I'm not sure the school board who we have a fantastic school board. It's kind of like you said, they they get this. They mean well. They want to do well. But yes, I don't think they were even aware of these statistics and they approve expulsions. But I don't mm. think they were even aware that this is what was happening. Right. That they were participating, you know, participating in it. And the way I don't, I'm not an expert on expulsions and I'm not, you know, cause I, I know they're kind of complicated. So I'm a yes. little hesitant to speak about it, but, um, uh, but my impression is that the school district says within school expulsions is they, they, the way it works is they kind of draw a circle around the one incident that happened. This happened, and therefore we are justified in this expulsion. And it takes away the entire like context and school experience of that student and, um, and that context and experience and everything that led up to it is, if we're really doing justice to the student themselves, right. needs to be paid attention to. Yeah. We don't have the context. Um, what I would say, though, is it would at least be worthy of a, of a valid discussion to really look at that. Yeah, this is... Um, I, I really think there is a need to kind of look at these expulsions and look at students who are being suspended and kind of do a, a you know, a total kind of look at what what are all the yeah. circumstances and factors and you know where were where might be opportunities where we could begin to um, you know impact this so another statistic which I think is related is um, and I know Barb Herzog who's our school board president right now cares about um, the fact that black students um, Black and brown students and black students in particular aren't represented in advanced coursework as much as they should be in the high schools, percentage-wise. And but the schools uh, or the state just released testing results um, a few weeks ago, and here's one stat: two hundred and fifty-five black students in grades three through eight were eligible to take the forward exam. So 255 students taking the exam. Two tested as advanced in English and none tested as advanced in math. So the, the, the reality that black students aren't represented in advanced coursework at the high school level is starting in elementary school. Mm. They're, they're not you know, somehow we need to talk about why aren't they getting the education they need, the, the opportunities, the instruction they need so that by high school they're, you know, seeing themselves and demonstrating that they're capable of being in advanced coursework. 
Well, how do you feel about that? I'm all over the place with it. Okay. Um, my, my initial thought process is, um, you know, my daughter did advanced classes. Great. So I'm really glad. Okay. But that they're available and they, that there's really, there's a good, there's a good program with cap courses and stuff like that. And that she had those opportunities. Right. Um, I also am thinking there needs to be an individual, like uh, the problem that I think that happens with some of this stuff is we don't have anybody focused on it mm. and we don't have representation working within the school system. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. And so like you, if you don't have representation, then these are things, what othering happens. We're yeah. talking about these other, no matter how well intentioned and, and I know really good educators yeah, that they absolutely. care, they care and they, they will acknowledge and, and they will actually, they see these things and, you know, but at the end of the day, the representation matters yeah. and to have somebody like legitimately like this is what they do. Like they look into this stuff and they, they start having these conversations and it's gotta be someone that education respects. So it almost has to be another educator. Yeah. Right. It can't just be somebody that comes in and tries to fix the things because it's not going to be heard the same. That feels different. It's going to take someone who's been through the education system, is an educator themselves, and then comes in and says, hey, have you looked at this? And here's some things we should at least consider. Um, I think more often than not that what happens is people don't, the best way to not acknowledge it is to never truly process it. So in other words, you may kind of know it doesn't look right, but I'm not going to run the numbers and truly find out that it's a 2000% difference. Yeah. Ignorance is bliss. Well, that's really why I, I pull stats a lot. I've met and communicated with every single school board member more than once. And I'm, I try to get the, I think the data is really important, but I also, my thing is I want them to just really sit with it. And I don't have all the answers about why the data is that way. Right. But do we real? are we really paying attention? You know, do we really right. understand the implications of this data? That is, um, I think there's some great people in the Oshkosh Area School District, and I'm actually big fans of them. Facts. Um, I think uh, Brian Davis, our new superintendent, is a fantastic superintendent and really has his mind around these issues. Um but, and he knows this because I've shared this with him. One of my frustrations is uh, Fond du Lac School District and Appleton Area School District both have diversity professionals, like trained diversity professionals focused on racial equity in the oh, yeah. other school Appleton district. has an entire diversity uh, department. department. Yeah. Yes. And I don't know as much about it as I would like, but the things I've heard about it is that it's doing some really cool stuff. Used to work in it. Oh, good. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't necessarily a department, but the, the positions were in place when I was there. That's great. Yeah. So I don't quite understand, but the, the kind of what I've been told is for some reason Oshkosh feels that they can do this just by everybody focusing on equity. And my thing, like you said, is I think there needs to be somebody who every day when they go into work says, okay, what committee needs to meet? What policy needs to be updated? What conversation needs to be had? 
right? This is, you know, that they can f- focus on it because the administrators have so that are there have so many responsibilities. So their attention is so, you know, yeah. spread out over so many things. They've got a lot of things to focus on. Yeah. And, and, and important stuff. You know? Absolutely. And so just to think that, oh, they can, you know, this can just be added to their workload doesn't make sense to me. And I think, here's what I think where it goes wrong sometimes, because I think what people fear is like this person's going to come in and they're like the enforcer. <laughs> they're like this, they're the, the, racial cop <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> come in here and make people feel bad but that's actually not how it has to be done and often if you have really good um, DEI professionals that's not how they do their unifiers more than that and they, what they will do is they will go first and engage all the parties so they'll go in the community and have these conversations and find out how do people feel and what are they thinking? They'll go inside and find out the same things and then find out what are the resources. They'll go back out to the community and share some of these resources. And then they're able to um, process and, and explain some of the things like what you're sharing right now. Like, Hey, do you realize this is what this looks like? But it doesn't have to have this nasty bite to it. It just has to be a matter of fact. Right. And it's in, the messaging can be fair and appropriate where no one's the villain. We're just trying to fix it. Yep. Well, and so you have this experience, but you know what? My impression is too, that without having that professional engaged in the conversation, we're just trying to make it up as we go. Then like, for every other issue, if you're building a new building, you hire an architect, you know, an engineer <laughs> first, yeah, who has the professional experience and they can solve all those issues. We, you don't have to learn how to be an architect or an engineer. Yeah. And so when it comes to this issue, I just feel like this assumption, oh, we can just do this ourselves, assumes that, um, oh, we can just figure this out. But then you make mistakes, you know, so Oshkosh School District, and I, I love the administrators there, and I'm big fans of them. But, you know, they started, uh, and this has happened more than once, but they started a DEI committee. They put, you know, 30 people on it, and it, it after a few meetings, it dissolved. And, you know, they're like, oh, well, now we think we should do it this way. I would argue if you had a diversity professional who has experience in this world, they would have had experience on how to set up an effective diversity committee, how to invite people to participate, how to engage people, and you would have had success the first time. And what's important to me is so much time has passed, Mm -hmm. you know, that so we're now, you know, the first conversation about that that other diversity committee probably was pushing for that two or three years ago. And, you know, and now, you know, a lot of time was wasted. It's tough because if you do something like that, even though it's really well-intentioned, um, I use the term, it's hurting cats. <laughs> because it's so many people with their their experiences and their lenses and, and their points of views. And then, and then there's, there's this excitement that is finally, it's like it's finally happening and something's going to happen. But then the energy doesn't always isn't able to get channeled where you bring everyone together and we're like, okay, I, I'm going to validate everybody's experience, but 
right here is where we're going to put the energy and we're going to try to solve this because this seems like this will be, this is either low hanging fruit and it's something we can easily put in, uh, interact and put into play. Or this is something that is really important. And if we are able to actually do something about it, it's going to make so many other things easier to do. So it's, it's either end of the spectrum. I'm cool with low hanging fruit or the one really big thing. (laughs) Whichever one. Right. Yeah. But I mean, just do something, you know, real. Well, and my, my, my challenge to that though is also just doing something to do something. If we don't know what we're really going to do, because you're, it's spending the important capital of buy-in because every time we start something and it falls apart because it's not, it doesn't have someone directing or channeling it in the right direction and all that. It kind of, it makes that other side, the othering side, it validates them. Yeah. And say, see? And and that's why it's so important, like, these efforts, when we do try to do these efforts, like, that we we figure it out and bring in somebody that can truly channel it. And, uh, you know. yeah, I think that's super important. And I, I know um, I've been on a couple of diversity committees that were kind of really well-structured or managed, and even though there were good intentions, they really end up just being a stalling mechanism. Mm. And and not that anybody intends that, but it's like, you know, and I'm not that, uh, I'm not that knowledgeable about what's going on with this city and county's diversity committees, but uh, me neither. (laughs) But what that, but one that I've been on, I know a problem was that the committee would meet and we would say, oh, well, maybe we should do this and maybe we should do that. And then we wouldn't meet again for two or three months. And then two or three months, somebody's like, oh, yeah, you were supposed to call so-and-so or wasn't somebody supposed to do something. And they're like, oh, yeah, I called them. They never called me back. And it's like, wait, we've gone three months and you didn't get a call back. We, you know? we just left it, right? Yeah. No. Um, that being said, like, I'm always happy when I see all these people who do want to make this difference. But I do think it does take um, the right kind of person to say, okay, like at the beginning of anything, meeting seldomly never works. Like, you know, make the one month of meeting every two weeks for the first three months just so we can build that initial foundation of what we want to do. Absolutely. Or who we even are. Right. And then I'm really big on, um, what are our easiest low-hanging fruit things? Like some things, there's some really, um, everything isn't a tangible fix that people think it is. Like yeah. people think it's some initiative or we've got to do this. And sometimes in these spaces, the answer is as simple as go out there and let those voices be heard mm-hmm. and validate them. Because it empowers, and then it just might make them go out and do the things that they need to do. Because now they realize, someone listened to me, and they appreciated that I shared my experience. Yeah. And it's sometimes that's really a bigger answer than, we're going to go here and do this thing and do that. That's like, I can't, I can't share that enough, like how often I see people become self-empowered where they make that change that yeah. the group is hoping to make. Yeah, I th- I get it. I think that's really important. I 
you you know you've heard some of my stories as a parent and I'm, i just felt really strongly that we need to create um opportunities for black and brown parents and parents of black and brown students mm-hmm. to share stories like i'm having the opportunity to share today um because i think when people hear them you know it, it changes it their, does. their perceptions absolutely yep. absolutely Okay. Okay. Woo. <laughs> I don't know. We went there. We went there. Yeah. It's, you know, I I appreciate the opportunity. It's a topic I feel really strongly about as a parent. There aren't a lot of opportunities to really engage in it in a meaty way like this. So, I so when when I was invited on the podcast, I was a little intimidated because I've listened to a lot, but I, you know, knew right away that oh, this is what I want to talk about if we if we can. Oh yeah, no, it's the cash, and I think this conversation will help make the cash better. Seriously, so I think it's powerful. Well, thank you. I think just just little little steps, little steps. Yeah, yeah. Facts. Okay, Aaron. Is there anything else you'd like to share at this time or anything else on the topic? Uh, I think we've said some important stuff today. I, again, appreciate the opportunity. So I know I think I think for now we're good. We're good. Okay. It's that time of the show. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Kosh listeners, for giving us your valuable time and your minds and sharing this with us. Um, I'm always hopeful, like when we do this, especially these kinds of conversations, like that there truly is some value being brought to the greater community, to you personally. Um, But no matter what, I appreciate the fact that you give us your time and your minds. So know that. Now, once again, you know, Please, please, please do not hesitate to reach out to us, please. Uh, If you want to be a guest, if you want to do a shout out, if you got guest suggestions, which I got some very good guest suggestions from our friend Sco Sassy, (laughs) Dr. Sco Sassy, (laughs) Uh, for for our guest today. Reach out to us at askthekosh at gmail.com. Once again, that is askthekosh at gmail.com. It is the holiday season. If you would like to do some shout outs um, or whatever you like, birthday wishes, whatever you want to do, uh, please feel free. Use our voicemail. Our voicemail is 920-385-9298. Once again, that is 920-385-9298. Um, Kosh listeners, I need you to go out there and think about possibly giving us a review. We need reviews. We're trying to elevate the profile. If you appreciate these conversations we're having, let other people know about these too. Share these when we share them out. Um, give us reviews, which raises our rankings in places. Um, and... Don't be scared to get your little Kosh gear because there's nothing that says I am local than a T-shirt or a hat that says the Kosh. <laughs> I can't stress that enough. You know, it is holiday season. If you don't know what to get that special person, maybe it's a the Kosh T-shirt. I'm just saying, you know, I'm just saying. Okay. So thank you again. And now we are on to what I would say is my favorite part of the show. If you know, you know. Bye. 
It is shout out time. All right, Aaron, what do you got? Uh, I've got a couple today. We kind of have a theme, but uh, I want to do a shout out to my neighbor and friend, uh, Mushe Subulwa. Uh, Mushe is very engaged in these conversations in the community. Um, he, do you know Mushe? I do. I, well, I know of Mushe. Okay. I've met, I've been in virtual spaces with Mushe, and let's just say that Moshe has gotten an invitation, so there may be a Moshe episode in two thousand or uh, twenty twenty three. He sh- he should definitely come on here. He's just an amazing individual, but also he keeps showing up. He's on a number of diversity committees when there's opportunities to speak up in the community. He's speaking up, but beyond that, he is really engaged in the African immigrant community in the Fox Valley area. Yes, and really engaged individually with people's challenges and struggles and trying to help people individually. Um, He also has two amazing sons that he's trying to advocate for and make sure they, you know, have the best experience possible in the Usher school system. And so he's just always working really hard and I know it's not easy. And so I appreciate him. Mm, Okay. Anyone else? I mean, look, the the shout outs isn't a, uh, there is no limit. Well, the other one that um, I'll do that's a little self-serving um, because she's my boss right now. So the president of the Payne Art Center and Gardens Board is Trina Walt. Okay. Um, but a cool thing about Trina is that she has just become the director of Leadership Oshkosh. Mm. So she's now running the Leadership Oshkosh program. Mm. And I know that um, she she totally respects and the history of that program and how great it is. But right. I think she also really sees the potential and per- particularly the potential for um, kind of an expanding an awareness of diversity. Yeah. And she's really talking about that and paying attention to it. I think that's super important. I think that program has had a big impact in our community and will continue to have a big impact. And so if we can bring diversity, uh, you know, thoughts and awareness and responsibility into that. I think it'll be fantastic. Oh, no, I think it's an important thing. It's something um, I've had conversations with the leadership Appleton um, or Fox Cities um, about some of the changes they're interacting and they're they're making some very intentional conscious efforts to help because it's to help you make be a better professional. Well, you know what? To be a better professional, uh, you need to be ready for what the new with the new town, who the new talent is and what the new workforce looks like. Absolutely. And so Trina really gets that. And is um, so I just appreciate her and the work she's doing as well, that she's, again, someone on the ground doing the work. That's great. Okay. Awesome. I love it. Love it. All right. Shout outs. I got a shout out to Paul Glensky, my man. He was the admissions uh he was, he, he was the uh, gentleman who's the director of admissions at UW Oshkosh. He just retired out. Man, solid leader, great man as a whole. Much love to you um, and your new adventures, Paul. You know, um, I'm sure I'll get a chance to uh, connect with you soon. Um, big shout out to John Nance. John Nance is this young gentleman uh, who is a photographer. And he does these amazing photos, um, these black and white photos that just have these, this look, this look, I can't explain it to you, but it's more than art to me. It's soul. If you could put soul in a picture, 
these have soul to them. So if you don't know, look it up. His name is uh, John Nance. He's been featured at the uh, the Trout Museum um, and has had art featured up and down College Ave. And he's only 20. Wow. Yeah. I'm gonna show, I'll show you some things. Yeah, I want to see. Um, um, to Patty Huffernan. Um, got to have a, a nice meeting with her. She's doing some amazing things um, as far as... Um, mental health and services um, for people who have, who are in the system dealing with like social workers and, and foster care and things of such. Um, she's powerful um, and just doing amazing things. Big shout out to Angie Lee. You already know, girl. You already know. Big shout out. Big shout out to Fat Mama out there with the food. Uh, if you don't know, Fat Mama's is back open, located on Ohio and 7th. Um, I don't know about you, but when I drive down the street, when you can smell the smoky ribs, I said smoky. I didn't say smoky. It's just smoky. Um, when you can smell those driving down the street, somebody knows what they're doing. And her potato salad, let me just say this now, is fire. Just fire. So check it out. Um, big shout out to Karen Schneider. Uh, we had a great conversation. Uh, looking forward to seeing where things go. Big shout out to Dylan from The Herd. Um, Dylan takes care of my tickets. And he, hey, thank you, Dylan, for always following through and making the things happen. I appreciate you. Um, and big shout out to my partners in crime, uh, Sean and Tarman for having some cocktails with a brother on his birthday. It's just nice. I appreciate that, man. All right. So we are on to the very last part of the show. And this is where you get an opportunity. You can give us the cash listeners parting words of wisdom or you can tell us what would your self today say to your 12-year-old self, or you can do both. I think I'll do a variation on it, but I, I just want to thank you for uh, hosting this podcast. I think it's really important that you bring you know voices to the table and they get to have these conversations. Um, I think it is like a ripple effect, you know, even if, you know, a handful of people, if it has an impact and then that handful, you know, impacts the next. I told you I've, I'm a big fan of the podcast. I have listened to a lot of them. I got, I was start, got started a year late, um, but then I go back and I've been listening to, you know, ones from the first year. Um, we've grown. We've, what I will say is we've gotten better. <laughs> At the beginning, it was definitely uh, learned by, you know, in real time, trial by fire. <laughs> I'm sure probably from your perspective, from a listener perspective, they, the, the new ones are goodies. Uh, yeah. The, I mean, the old, the oldies are goodies too. Um, but, uh, I, I just love how comfortable you make everybody feel. And you've had a wide range of people that you've spoken with and every conversation just feels completely, you know, natural. You put people at ease. Um, so I, you know, so I'm not sure if that's parting <clears throat> words of wisdoms, except, <clears throat> more people should listen to the podcast and more people should do what you're doing. We'll take it. Okay. Facts. All right. So what'd you think? It was, it was okay. I talk a lot, so it probably longer than it should be, but I, I love it. You know what? You're not the longest episode. Okay. <laughs> the cash. Mm-hmm.